This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. It's a series called Better, and these are going to be the three parts of it here that we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks. We're going to be looking at today, Less Anger. Part two, we're going to be looking at more honesty. And part three, a call to engage. And that basic idea of, like, how do we make our lives better? How do we, how do we actually live better lives? And, and there's parts of it that are just, uh, just sort of stunning to me. Like, like I, I keep on thinking my life is better, and I have my checklist of all the things. Notice the word I said there. All the things I need to make my life better. How many of us do that? You know, all the things, all the stuff, and then my life will be better. But that's not really what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about how to make the quality, the true quality of our lives better. Now, as I step off the stage here, I want you to take a look at this question, because I think this is really important. It's been ringing in my head for a, for a couple of weeks now. Amazing what you can think about when you're on, a, on the turnpike. What story, please say the last word there, what story do we place in front of? This is really big. This is really big. We have a choice. And I think so much of at different times, right? Like sometimes we're in the healing story, sometimes we're in the hurt story. Church, because they want to hear a good story. Just need to know what I am and why my life is horrible. Like, who? An analogy here, see, like, difference works. So, this is from Go, and I think it's really well said. And it speaks a lot to the challenges I think we're going through as a nation today. In church, as, as one pastor famously said, really good preaching. You got the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. So imagine this. Imagine a second grade classroom, for those of you who are teachers. And imagine in that classroom, you gather all the, all the, is it a problem? Oh. Got it. it that's all right. It worked for Moses coming off the mountain, Stephen. I'm just saying. So, so, so a couple of stories. A couple of stories there. So, so with, these, with these stories, we, we have one story. And just imagine again that, that second grade teacher. And the second grade teacher says, look, I'm going to gather all the bad behavior. All the bullies, all the caustic commentary. And I'm talking from every side of every spectrum you can imagine. I'm going to gather all that, I'm going to put that in the middle, and then we're going to gather the classroom around that, and we're going to watch that for nine months. We're going to make that the center of the classroom. How would those kids grow up? How would those kids grow up? How will we grow up? Imagine a very different classroom, where we're in a different place, where we say all that bullying behavior we're going to put the bullies in the back room. It's interesting. I can remember when I taught in high school, my first class, and oh my goodness, I still remember the kid's name, Stephen Schmidt. Oh my, every teacher has that kid who's like, oh my goodness. And he was really difficult. Of course, now he's probably done something spectacular. But back in high school, really difficult. 
And I can remember just at my wit's end, like, what am I supposed to do with this, teach, with, with, this, with this student? And I had this idea that you always put the bully in the front of the class, you could keep an eye on him. And then my little mentor teacher, Kathy Boyle, who had amazing classroom discipline, and she was all of four foot 11, 90 pounds about, she said, Chuck, just put him in the back of the classroom. Nobody will see him there. He'll run out of energy soon. And it worked. It worked. That's, that's a pretty big decision that I think we have to make. Are we really going to allow really angry, and I'm, talk, I'm not talking any particular, it's this side or it's that side, I think it's, it's all of us. Like, how are we going to change the conversation so that that, so that, that, that behavior's not front and center anymore? Because I'm tired, are you tired of it too? You know, just a little tired of this. And yet, we can shift it. I mean, that's the beauty of it. We can shift it. We can make those choices. So I want to read for you a, a story here. And for those of you who are reading along at home, this is Matthew 12. I'm going to read this story, then we're going to have some slides about it and talk about sort of how this story works. Many followed Jesus, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell anyone who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here's my servant, who I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit in him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Then they brought before him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished. When the Pharisees, who were the clergy at that time, heard this, they said, it's only the prince of demons by which this fellow drives out other demons. In other words, a little conspiracy theory there. We see a hurt story in there. We see these, these other clergy going like, look, the only reason why healing can happen is, is, is obviously because Jesus is a demonic person. He's obviously like channeling demonic forces to heal somebody. That's a hurt story. But then there's this beautiful healing story. And I want you to see how beautiful this line of scripture is. I mean, this is just like ridiculously beautiful. Take a look at the lines and just sort of let them sink in. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now, now, probably some of you are here today and you're feeling like, yeah, I'm a little bruised today. Probably some of you are here feeling, yeah, you know, life, it just feels like I'm just smoldering right now. It's just like there's, I've lost that flame. And, here it's saying, a smoldery wick, wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through victory. In his, in his name, I'm going to have you say the N word there, in his name, the nations. Notice, notice the nations. It's not saying, that's way cute, it's not saying like the select group of people, it's saying the nations. That this healing that we're talking about here, like the Christian message, folks, isn't just for Christians, it's for everybody. And it's not a message to get them to join. It's a message to bring healing to the world. What can we do? Well, we can do this. Beautiful line. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus, say it for me, folks, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Beautiful story of healing. When we look at, at these stories, folks, and we look at, at how they work, and we look at how, how do we get a healing story in front of us. 
It's important to remember that to get a healing story in front of us, we need to see what's blocking us from that story. I think for a lot of people, you know, we can experience, now I'm going to be really careful, this, you know, I'm going to say this, but I want you to wait till I say the whole thing. A lot of us probably on occasion experience demonic possession. Now, I don't mean demonic possession where all of a sudden you're like on the exorcist. I'm talking demonic possession where somebody cuts you off on I-95 and you say something no grandmother should ever say. Right? We've all been there? Right? That's, that's, that's like, there's some of you laughing way too hard. That's demonic possession. That's what we're talking about here, right? It's just where that, that anger and that contempt, it just overwhelms us. Like, I was down at Wawa yesterday, and, and this one guy pulls in front of the other guy for a parking spot, and they all of a sudden get into it. And it's just like, I wouldn't want to start my day that way. But guess what? I have. I have. That's crazy. That's putting that story that's really a hurt story right in front of us. Like, there's no doubt for both of those guys that that story of hurt, somebody taking off their parking spot or somebody swearing or giving them, you know what, that became the story for their day. That's not a good day. Nobody's helped with that kind of story. Much of that, much of that is driven by fear. And I don't mean the kind of fear, folks, where it's like somebody jumps out from behind a door and sort of spooks you. It's not that kind of fear. It's the fear that we feel we're not getting enough. We're not getting our part. Someone else is getting more than me. Power, prestige, possessions. The three Ps. Power, prestige, possessions. Manuel Swedenborg says honor, reputation, and gain. If any of those three are assaulted, it can create a fear that we'll lose that thing. Look at this line. I think this is, this is really significant. All people in hell are governed by fear. When you are afraid, you are in hell. When you are afraid, you're in hell. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, well, I don't know whether I really believe in hell. You can, you can or you don't. It doesn't really matter, I think, you know, in terms of a place. But you all know that experience, right? Where you literally are all feared up about something, and it feels like hell. And all of a sudden, the whole world kind of gets painted a, a certain way and, and looks a certain way. And, and it's really hard to move out of that. Like, I, I just... Yeah, you know, it's just so hard to move out of that because I'm feared up, I'm in hell, I can't get out. That's why that story is so important. Like, which story are we going to put in front of us? Which story are we going to put in front of us? Now, before the band comes out, just a little, now this is a joke very few of you will get. I'm sorry, but it just made me giggle. How many of us have seen Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Birds? Oh, a bunch of you have. So, so in the movie, The Birds, it's about... Birds, all of a sudden the birds, be, all birds become carnivores, essentially. And, and this is how our fears can kind of grip us up. So take a look at this little political cartoon here from, from the New Yorker. Yeah, yeah, we get that. We get that, we get that, we get that. So when we come back, I'm going to talk about, like, well, how is it that we can actually move out of that, move out of these places, and really work at getting rid of that story. We're going to look specifically how that story gets fed, how that story of anger and contempt gets fed. We're going to look at it in a lot of depth because it's important you know the spiritual dynamics. 
so that we can actually start to do something about it. So I want to talk about the spiritual dynamic here because I, I think we have to understand the, the architecture of evil, contempt, rage, anger, all those parts, and we, we all hold them in front. So, so I'm going to show you this stuff and we're going to talk about it and, and just keep on thinking, yeah, where does this show up for me? Like, like when can I fall into this? So I want to show you a flow chart about how this tends to work. It doesn't work this way all the time, but, but how it tends to work, and then give you an example. And then we're going to close by looking at a story of someone, a group, who did a wonderful job moving past this. Wonderful group of teenage girls who decided to do something about all this. So the flow chart starts here. Take a look at this. We have hell out there. And you could think darkness. If you're a Harry Potter fan, think Voldemort. All right? So we have hell, and then the fears come out of hell. And the, the, hell is all about fear. Fear I didn't get enough. Fear of this. Fear of that. Fear somebody's going to take what's mine. All these different ones. I don't know what it is for you, but, but that will just show up. And it shows up in goofy little ways. Yesterday, I'm driving back from Lancaster after visiting our son. I decided to stop at Ikea. Did you know Ikea has $1 soft serve ice cream? Right? It's a beautiful thing. So, so I'm like, the lines are merging like this. You know, they have two lines that are merging into one. And there's a mom with four kids who's like herding cats, right? And here I am, and I, for some reason, am afraid that they've only got four ice cream cones left, so I better get in front of her. Like, like that's crazy. I did, by the way, and I did get my ice cream cone, but so did she. Like, I mean, that's the craziness, right? Just where that fear stuff, and with that coming back to the chart, at least this little bit of like upset, and then it totally distorts our reality. It distorts how we see the world. And then I'm going to come back to this word. It can lead to contempt. Contempt leads to outrage. And this last phrase, real important, very key part of new church theology, we get into self-indulgent fantasies. In other words, we, get into, we create this little fantasy world in our mind where we're sure we're know, we know why everyone's doing what everyone's doing. We absolutely are positive. And oftentimes, that's very toxic. Now, what's interesting, folks, and this is where it gets a little serious, a little more serious. So when I wrote this sermon, you know, we, we work on these sermons months out, and then we, we put the, the final touches on a few weeks out. So I put the following touches on there. How can I show people this, this and, and have it make sense to them? I know I'll talk about somebody who's worried about getting laid off. That'll make sense, and then we'll talk about all the, all the fears that come up around that. And then El Paso and Dayton. Then El Paso and Dayton. I think when we see, look at this picture, I think when we see events like that and we, we see what occurs, we see the, you know, the heartbreak around pieces like that, we get a sense that, that this is not just some light little thing. Like, like this progression is actually really dangerous. It can reach these crazy extremes. With these crazy extremes, one of the craziest extremes are those self-indulgent fantasies. Like if we go back on the next slide, let's go back to what the flowchart looks like. Hell, fear, you know, fear of whatever those men were afraid of, the anger, how they had distorted their view of the world. Do those shootings sh show a little bit of contempt, folks? Absolutely they show contempt. They show outrage, and these people are living in a self-indulgent fantasy. Like, it's an extreme, but they're living in this crazy, crazy fantasy world. One author who I really like put it this way. He said, what all these, what all these mass shootings share is, listen to this phrase. It's a great two-word two phrase. 
they, all these people belong to what he called a toxic hive. Is that a good phrase or what? A toxic hive. So they have, they have, in other words, what he's saying is they have created a story of hurt. And they have found other, th- other bees, so to speak, who will also collect around that hive. And will create this little toxic universe that actually has incredibly destructive tendencies towards. It actually is really a dangerous thing to let our lives go towards. I don't think in this congregation, we, you know, I don't worry about our congregation being filled with people who are that, that way, thank goodness, right? But I do feel like at a lower level, we just have to be aware of where this shows up for us. We have to be looking at it going like, oh yeah, that shows up for me. And the word I want to focus on here, I'll show you the word I want to look at, is the word contempt. Now, we could pick really any one of these and do a, do a sermon on them. I'm going to pick contempt. This is why I picked contempt. So I do, I do a whole lot of marriage counseling, both when people are, are getting married as well as when marriages are struggling. You know, do, do both of those. No one calls me up to say, Chuck, we want to meet. Our marriage is going great. Just wanted to share with you how great it is. And, and, you know, so you, you do kind of both ends of the spectrum. And it's interesting, looking at, at the end of the spectrum around what a challenge is, you know, I do a lot of reading, and, and one of the real fascinating parts of research is this, is this marriage counselor up in New York City. I've mentioned him before. Uh, some of you know him. You know, up in New York City. And he, this guy got very famous because with 93% accuracy, he could tell within 15 minutes whether a couple was going to get divorced or not. He had a study of like 1,300 couples with 93% accuracy. He was able to predict it. Can you guess what the killer thing was that if he saw this in a marriage, they were on their way to divorce? Take a guess. Go back to that chart and you'll see it. Take a guess. Contempt. Contempt. If he saw contempt, the couple really wasn't going to make it. Contempt is is when we believe that, that, that someone is worthy of scorn. And you can see how that's like the antithesis of the marriage relationship. So I think it's really important that we just be aware of, of, yeah, is contempt showing up in our lives? Where is contempt showing up for you? Where is it showing up in your day-to-day interactions? Because it probably is that the human condition, it is somewhere. And we can't get to a good story until we get rid of that one. There's always a sacred no before there's a sacred yes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. That's why New Church Theology is so insanely optimistic, because New Church Theology says with this Christian message, we need to really focus on getting rid of the bad stuff, because the good stuff is our default. If we get rid of the bad story, the good story will appear without us even even having to like make it or create it. It is there. We just need to get rid of it. I was working with someone who's, who's just struggling with a lot of little things in their life. And, and just my, my simple piece to a pastor to try to get a more beautiful story in front of them is just, oh, your only job today is this. Look for what's beautiful. Just for today. Just look for what's beautiful. Much better story. Now, I want to share with you a story where we get to see 
contempt being pushed aside by, by a wonderful, wonderful group of teenage girls and their, their, their teacher actually was part of her journey to, to help them do this. It's a beautiful story. And, and because we can't show videos anymore in New Church Live, this is why, because Facebook, when you put a video up now, it instantly stops the live stream. So we can't show videos, but I can read transcripts. So, so, so what I need is I would love to have five volunteers who are willing to come up here to the microphone and read. I'm not going to ask you questions. I'm not going to ask you to bear your soul. I'm just going to have you read. And, and I even have what you read. I have it all printed out for you. So I would like five volunteers who are super brave to come forward who can read this for us. All right? So we get five volunteers. And Stephen, they'll be fine on this mic, right? They'll be the big one? All right. Actually, why don't we just bring them up on stage then? If you folks could just come on up on stage. Sorry. Yeah, you didn't tell. Yeah, changing the story. Excellent. It is, it is fairly large print. All right, so I'm going to start, I'm going to just unplug my mic here and hold it for you. So you're going to read that first paragraph. I'll scooch right in. Read that first paragraph, and then we're going to get going with the next paragraph. We're all set? All right. So a letter was written to the Richmond City Sheriff, signed collectively by each girl, and I would have to say he is a very special sheriff. He contacted me immediately and said, whenever there is an opportunity to bring families inside, his doors are always open, because one thing he did know, that when fathers are connected to their children, it is less likely they, that they will return. Great. Now the context for that line, give you the context of this. It's a really beautiful line, and it's, it needs a little explanation there. So the city, and they were doing a father-daughter dance. So all these girls had their dads come in. It was beautiful. But what she realized is all the girls in her classrooms whose dads were in and said, one of the girls had this suggestion, and because and, they asked as a full class, like, well, what do we do about those girls who have dads who are incarcerated? What we do? And one girl raised her hand and said, I know, let's daddy-daughter dance in prison. And she was like, no way, but I'll write the sheriff and ask. So she writes the sheriff, she gets the positive response. These next lines are about... So 16 inmates and... Sunday best and the fathers traded in their yellow and blue jumpsuits for shirts and ties. They hugged. They shared a full catered meal of chicken and fish. They laughed together. It was beautiful. The fathers and daughters even experienced an opportunity to have a physical connection, something that a lot of them did not have for a while. Fathers were in a space where they were able to make their daughter's plate and to pull out her chair and extend his hand for a dance. Even the guards cried. In the watching it <laughs> after the dance we all realized that so we needed to create something that they could take with them so we brought in flip cams and we had them look at the flip cam 
and just interview each other, uh, their messages, their thoughts. This was going to be used as a touchstone so that when they started to miss, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that, disconnected, they could reconnect through this image. Beautiful. Thank you. If you guys just step one step forward and I'll step one step back and we'll get better radio coverage there. I'll never forget that one girl looked in her father's eyes with that camera and said, Daddy, when you look at me, what do you see? Because our daddies are our mirrors that we reflect back on when we decide about what type of man we deserve and how they see us for the rest of our lives. I know that very I know that very well because I was one of the lucky girls. I've had my father in my life always. He's even here today. Beautiful. Okay, if you just step over there. You guys just step one more little step forward. And we'll try to get a little bit at the line. There we go. And <clears throat> and that is why it is extremely special for me to make sure that these girls are connected to their fathers, especially those of barbed wires and metal doors. We have created, we have just created a form for girls who have heavy questions on their hearts to be in a position to ask their fathers those questions and give the fathers the freedom to answer. Because we know that the fathers are even leaving with this one thought. What type of woman am I preparing to put in the world? Because a father is locked in does not mean he should be locked out of his daughter's life. Excellent. Give them a round of applause, folks. Thank you. Thank you. That's an incredibly powerful story. And, and you know, you, you think about it, folks, like, like those are the stories we can put front and center in our lives. We could put a story there of contempt. Look, these are fathers who made mistakes. These are fathers who owe a debt to society. We could approach that in a punitive way, or we could say, well, yeah, we have these, stealing, these, these stories of hurt. They're very real and they're very true. But how do we take these and also create stories of healing? Stories of healing. And the beautiful part about stories of healing, who gets to choose that story, folks? We do. We get to choose that. We get to choose what the center and our pivot of our lives are. And so much of choosing a good story is, is choosing to understand the other, choosing to reach across, choosing to move past contempt and do the best we can in ways deeply flawed to take a halting step towards love. I mean, I can just imagine, I think of that sheriff, right? The sheriff in charge of the jail. I can imagine like him getting pushback over this, understandable pushback. Like, what are you thinking of doing? Bringing little girls into jail? You gotta be kidding me. But that's courage. Remember at the beginning where I said that, that part of the religious message is not just to question what we know, but to ask us, what do you imagine? That sheriff was able to imagine something far different, a far better world, 
a far better story. I love this particular quote. To look is to see only a fraction of what one is looking at. Even in the most vigilant eye, there is a blind spot, and that's literally true. What is missing? How do we start to see life in a more holistic way? And the way we do it, I think, and I'll leave you on this, is this line from this piece of new church. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in themselves. It's about looking to serve that good. How do we find that good? How do we make that good, even in people who've made horrible, bad mistakes? How do we make that center and get our contempt and decenter that? Love at the core for this week. Contempt out. Could I get a little amen? Amen. That's your message for the week. Let's close with a prayer, and then we'll have a final song. So please join me for a last prayer. So Lord, thank you for your presence here today. And Lord, thank you as well for that beautiful story. A story filled with grace, with love, with care. A story filled with people willing to move beyond contempt into a time and a place of understanding, of connection, of love. Help us to have a week, Lord, where love comes center and we are able to push, push contempt out. We'll know contempt by anger. We'll know contempt by the red flags all around it. We'll know contempt by the distortions it creates. We'll know contempt by the self-indulgent fantasies we so easily fall into. And Lord, when that happens, just gently guide us back. Gently lift us back. Gently call us home. Decenter contempt in our lives. Bring love central once more. And Lord, as always, as always, let us remember this. That when we talk about where change must start, that the real answer in our hearts must be this, that it starts here. With us, doing the best we can with imperfect lives in an imperfect world, but simply doing the best we can with the tools we have. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. Bless this amazing congregation, those gathered here in person and those gathered online. Lord, help us to have a week filled with less anger and more love. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.